Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Realities of Real Estate. I'm your host, Reagan, and I have a guest speaker on the podcast today. Chris, he has been in the real estate industry for 30 years, and he has lots of good advice to give, especially about investing in real estate and um, just some really good entrepreneur mindset advice. So I hope you guys really enjoy this one. Put a candle, put some Febreze, put something on the area that you keep your pets. And I think 99% of realtors are going to agree with me on that one. Because there's going to be something wrong in every single house. There's going to be something wrong in every house, even new construction, believe it or not. When people kind of screw up my clients, I get a little passionate about sticking up for them. I've been in this industry since I was 15. Chris, do you want to go ahead and say hi and introduce yourself? Yeah, hey guys, um, Regan, I'm glad you got me on and I'm happy to share whatever direction you want to take it for sure. Um, uh, obviously dating myself with the 30 years, but we'll, we'll <laughs> dive in and hopefully grab some good content from that. For sure, for sure. Awesome. Okay, so I know you told me just a little bit ago that you focus heavily on uh, investment. So um, what is the market like? You're in Massachusetts right now, right? Uh, I'm actually in Rhode Island. I, I grew Rhode up Island, in, and back in the day was a realtor there all through the 90s, but I, I actually sold my business in 2000 to Cobalt Banker, made my way down to Rhode Island in 2004. Um, the market's similar to everywhere else, um, chaotic, uh, uncertain, but hot in certain pockets because of the interest rates. Mm-hmm. Um, unbe- unbeknownst to a lot of the people that went didn't know what was going to happen with COVID though, yes. you've got banks that are tightening up uh, their criteria so that's pushing a lot of people buyers then ripple effect sellers to mm-hmm. uh, what we do which is buying and selling on terms so we don't use banks okay so can you explain the terms a little bit yeah sure so for us terms means uh, lease purchase and owner financing primarily we also buy properties uh, subject to and for a new listener Subject to just means I would buy Regan's prop Regan's property as a seller, let's say, and mm-hmm. the mortgage would stay in her name and I would own the property. That's what subject to means. So those are three ways that we acquire properties. None of those we require requiring, excuse me, bank financing, signing personally, putting up cash, or anything like that. That's that was all built after the two thousand eight crash. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So lease purchase in Tulsa, Oklahoma is extremely rare. Um, we do not have a whole lot of the lease to purchase options here. I, I get, I actually get that question quite a bit, but there's hardly ever any, um, you know, availability for that. So what makes it so popular over there? Just, you know, the banks tightening up on restrictions and everything. Uh, okay. So a couple things you said that are interesting. So it's, it's, Tulsa, Oklahoma, we have students there. So we buy properties here locally as a family company, Mm -hmm. my son, my son-in-law, and myself. However, we have 90-some-odd associates. We call them associates. They're people we're doing deals with all of North America, mostly United States. So I can tell you in every single market, especially with COVID, yes, to your question, super popular, super easy to do, been around since late 1800s. The difference is it's not mainstream. I was a realtor for 18 years mm-hmm. and didn't know it. And people say, why? I, I don't know. I it, It's been around. It's just that we took a system, built it into something that people could actually wrap their arms around and then trademarked the three payday system, which means we get paid three times on, on every single deal. But the concept of lease purchase, known to financing, you know, certainly predated you and I and a whole bunch of other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Okay. So you have some clients here in Tulsa locally. 
We do. We have at most markets. We have coverage. Just a matter of how active they are. You know, in, gotcha. in, in what level they're they're participating with us because we have some very aggressive, meaning how many deals they do and how fast they scale their business. And then we have some very passive. Hey, I, I want to buy a deal or two a year because when you look at the profits, which we haven't even talked about yet, when I say three paydays, these deals, Reagan, are worth like mm-hmm. seventy-five grand a deal for us as a family company. I have students as high as. 250, 250,000 oh a deal, depending on what market they're in. So these aren't small deals the way we structure them, you know? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. So, I mean, how would you compare this type of real estate investing to flipping? Uh, okay. I love this one. So I, because I've been at it 30 years, I've done just about every niche that is possible, except for large apartment buildings, just because I don't like raising money. From others, so uh, so I've done plenty of flips. The the biggest difference, um, it well, there's two. One is there's not three paydays in a flip. There's not three paydays in a wholesale deal. There's just you just. In, and when I was a realtor, there wasn't three paydays as a realtor, right? So that's number one. Number two, it's super competitive, and and so as a result of competitiveness, what happens? Margins tighten, right? And so it's not that we don't do them. My wife's in the midst of a of a, a second rehab right this second on the tail end of it. So we will do them as we see pockets, but my mainstream method is to buy and sell on terms and we do 25 or 30 of those a month around the country. Wow. Okay. So you you mentioned something about getting paid three times. Can you explain how you guys get paid on these kinds of deals? Sure. So the the three ways I said we buy uh, all the time, but how do we sell to get the three paydays? Mm -hmm. We sell um, about 95% of our properties on rent to own. Okay. And pre pre COVID, super popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that we're in the midst of COVID, with the banks tightening up, it is overwhelmingly popular because yeah. a lot of good buyers with decent credit, with decent down payment, when the bar got raised to raise the credit score and raise the reserves and raise the down payments, it pushed a lot of good people to the sidelines, and so mm-hmm. they're looking for another pathway. So here's how it works: they come in, they give a non refundable down payment. That range is seven to ten percent, okay. and that's payday number one. That so that's non-refundable. You're dealing with a buyer that just needs a pathway. It's not a renter. Payday number two is uh, let's say it's your home, Reagan. I'm going to be paying your underlying mortgage or you directly if you were debt free, and I'm going to be collecting something higher than that from my buyer who's in the home until they get financing. So that's payday number two spread. That's like three hundred to a thousand dollars a month per deal, wow. and then payday three is super lucrative. Payday three is. I probably marked the property up from what I was able to put under contract for, but I'm also capturing all of the principal pay down on the underlying debt as my tenant buyer is in the home getting financing and getting ready to, to buy that property. So that's a huge yeah. recession hedge and it's a huge money maker. That's payday three. Well, it sounds like I'm going to start doing this because I would love to get paid three times for one deal. So um, a lot different than just, you know, working off of commission one time. So for sure, um, that's awesome. So I know since you said you have some people here in Tulsa that you're coaching and doing that, do the people in Tulsa feel like there's a big market for the rent to own? Yeah, it, there's a big market right now anywhere in the country, and, and we are a slightly into Canada at this point, but mm-hmm. that that existed before COVID. The, yes. Again, the difference is that they just helped us, really, and it's yeah. a sad thing for a lot of buyers and sellers, but it, it gives us, a, us as opportunity uh, as entrepreneurs and investors to help so many people. And I'm talking like generational help. You start helping families that thought they were kicked out of the market and you're talking about affecting their family for a long time. So it's a very healthy environment right now for us. 
Yeah, that's an interesting perspective because a lot of people and business owners, entrepreneurs especially, um, have been negatively affected by COVID. But it sounds like you've, you know, been thriving <laughs> through all of this. Yeah, no, we have. You use the exact word. So I we, we did a whole series on it on our podcast called Thriving in Chaos because I, I, I'm not going to tell you I knew. Of course, I didn't know. Nobody knew how each entity or each niche, I should say, would react. But yeah. I can tell you when we built it, Reagan, uh, post-2008, mm-hmm. when we built it after that crash, because I got really beat up in that. I was not doing it like I am now. Yeah, That caused us to say, all right, well, that was awful. What would be the new rules if we were to get back into real estate? And they are... Don't sign personally with banks. Don't take out loans. Don't raise money with investors. Like all these things that we learned our lessons from, we built it to weather all storms. And then COVID hits and our volume tripled, our students' volume tripled. And so we're filling a huge gap right now. And I really think the, well, I don't think, nationally the stats are that the percentage of deals being done on terms outside of banks is skyrocketing. And I don't see any end to it because Mm -hmm. banks are tightening. They have to. And yeah. if COVID ended tomorrow, it's not like they're going to say, yeah, okay, we're all set. We'll loosen all the criteria. It's going to take time to do that. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Well, that's awesome. I'm happy that you guys are doing so well over there and everything. Um, Tulsa is definitely um, a pretty hot market right now, too, just in different ways, I think. So um, we're a little bit slower to catch up with all you guys on the East and West Coast over there. <laughs> so, but- all right. I know you just mentioned a little bit about the crash of 2008, the house, um, you know, market crashing there. So what are some of the biggest like lessons that you learned from that? Um, Because, of course, I wasn't doing real estate back in 2008, so I don't really know what that was like for a lot of people. Um, Some people thought that maybe this covid would be kind of a second a second run of that, but I, I don't think it's impacted as much. I think it's actually been a good thing, like you said, for the real estate industry. But, um, you know, how did that affect you? What were you doing differently? And what are some lessons that you learned? Well, OK, so backtracking or backing out those less those rules I said that we did is uh, were the result of the lesson. So we were doing like a lot of people. We were uh, leveraging or refinancing properties because it was like an ATM machine. And mm-hmm. we did that successfully for many, many years. But then when values drop by a third to two thirds, the banks literally don't care. Whoever is signed personally on those loans, that's where they're going yeah. uh, to, 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 to make life miserable. And, and so we had about 22 or 23 properties, sizable, like condominium conversions, commercial properties, mixed use properties. And when they drop a third to two thirds, there's not a heck of a lot you can do. Uh, so for the next three or four years, we did short sales, we did workouts, we did foreclosures. I mean, it was a part-time to full-time job to spin out of all that. Mm, but in yeah. doing that, we learned, okay, let's not sign personally. Check that off. Yeah. Let's not take out any bank loans. Let's only buy on terms. And let's build it in a way that when the market changes up, down, or flat, that this will thrive. And so that's what it's, that's what it's done, and that's what it's doing. And, and I guess the only way to do that is to go through the pain, right, Reagan? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I, I've been through that. I've been through my son going through a, a major head injury and landing in a coma. I've been through 9-11. Mm-hmm. So you go through so many of these, you say, okay, let's build it to kind of weather that now. And unfortunately, success is a rotten teacher. So until you go through some of that, that's that's what it takes to, to, to rebuild the right way and re-engineer. Yeah, Wow. Yeah, that's all really great advice. Um, so what would you say is the biggest lesson overall 
that, you know, not just from the crash of 2008, um, you know, just from being in the industry for so long, because I've been in it for about five or six years now, but you have that six times over me. So, um, you know, what's what's something that's just like kept you going through this business for so long? Um, man, there's so many things because real estate's so much fun. Um, I'd have to say uh, building or, or attaching yourself to a niche that can weather the storms. But let me be specific to any entrepreneurial thing and literally mm-hmm. any business it doesn't have to be real estate. Yeah. What if I look back to the two times that I that I got dinged, so to speak, mm-hmm. one of them was 08, of course, and that was the last one, thankfully. And it was when I did not have uh, a mentor or someone to lean on to say, what do I do next? Interesting. And, and I didn't get that until about a year and a half ago. I figured that out. So here, here's the simple formula I tell everyone. And again, it doesn't matter. You could be in the restaurant business and this would work. Mm-hmm. One is find a niche that uh, you can get behind, like morally, ethically, value-wise. You just feel like, okay, this is it. I like this niche. And if it's ours or someone else, it doesn't matter. Just pick one that you can get behind. Number two Find someone in that niche that has created the success that you're looking for, but but most importantly, that they're still doing it because with all these changes and how chaotic the real estate business is, you've got to have someone that's current because things are changing rapidly. Like we've changed everything we do since then. And third, now this is the tough part, easier said than done, follow that person or system or group, whoever you're attached to, Mm -hmm. for 36 months with blinders on because real estate is really easy to get the shiny object syndrome and you're not going to, you'll just spin wheels if you do that. So stay super laser focused for 36 months. And if you do those three things, in my opinion, you'll have a great experience in any business, not just real estate. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. So, um, we do talk a lot about, um, niche marketing and everything here in Tulsa. That's something our brokerage is big on, but what do you tell your clients or your people who are going into one of those niches that are just really, um, they're oversaturated. Um, maybe it's the downtown, midtown areas, and everyone wants to have those, you know, five million dollar condos downtown. Like, what? How do you tell people to differentiate themselves? Um, there's one big thing, and again, this works for any business, so it's a good question. And that is, uh, become the authority in in your niche. So that requires two things. It requires having a niche. So many people, real estate investors, realtors, think that they have to serve everyone. The best um, kind of facetious example I can give you on this is d- don't try to boil the ocean. Like it's too big. Mm-hmm. People yeah. think when they niche down that they're going to have less business. It's miraculously and completely 360 from that. You will, when you niche down, you will get more business, not less. So yeah. what do I mean by that? Um, uh, well, I could talk about it in our world. So in all the ways we buy, if one of our students and, and many of them are says, I want to just do the owner financing deals with free and clear owners. That's all I want to work with. That's mm-hmm. what I'm talking about by niching down. So in, to your question, if someone says, I want to niche down to this price range, sure. But how about relative to the avatar of the seller? Who do you want to work with? Like really niche it down. And mm-hmm. when you become the expert with that small segment, people will come to you who speak that same language. Um, so that's it, it's hard without knowing someone's um, background. But if someone has a story, like my story is 08, that was a dramatic story. Guess mm-hmm. what? When I speak it and yell about it, other people come forward and go, you know what? That was me. I got really beat up. How did you come out of it? So you attract what you speak about if you can niche down like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, that also kind of reminds me, I see on your one sheet here that you have 
wrote some books. So um, can you talk about those just real quick a little bit and have those um, helped your career? Is that something that you kind of do on the side as a side hustle or do you get clients because people recognize you from the books? Okay, so a, a bunch of great questions tied to that. So becoming the authority in your marketplace, I don't care, again, if you're an investor, realtor, business owner of any type, becoming the authority is attraction marketing. Mm-hmm. So when we write the books, and now it's my son-in-law and my son participating in that, the first one was just me. Uh, when we write those books, what do we do? We start to establish ourselves as the authority. We start to attract like a magnet the people that we want to do business with. So it's not like it's a side thing to your mm-hmm. question. It is part of our model. Gotcha. Uh, it is like having a giant business card and handing that to someone and literally becoming the authority on that on that subject. So it's helped us students, sure, as an education piece. It's been uh, a, a means to establish authority position. So why is that important, by the way? Uh, again, depending on what, uh, not depending rather on what position you're in, because especially during COVID, you have national companies coming in. Mm-hmm. You have national companies in the realtor space, in the investor space, in every space. They eventually come into any niche in any market. When you're the authority, you don't worry about that. Yeah. When you're just one of many, you do worry about that because they're going to squish you. So it's super important. And so the first book we did was Real Estate on Your Terms. It describes all the things that we do as far as the buying of what I mentioned earlier, those three ways we buy on terms without banks and creating three paydays. And then we wrote the new rules of real estate, and that was with Zach and Nick, my son-in-law and son, where we took 24 experts in the real estate business, um, ranging experience from 15 years to 40 years. I think one gentleman had 50-some-odd years. And they give you their take on not just their niche, but the market and mm-hmm. how to pivot and how to thrive. That's an invaluable resource. And then we wrote a book uh, with Monica Sawyer, which is also a bestseller. All of, the, all of these were uh, called Real Estate for Women. So that was a little bit more niche down. There was two males in that book. I, we, we kid around, so I don't know how we could pick for that, but we're in it. <laughs> and so, and so all those are great books. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, awesome. Um, writing books is definitely a goal that I have um, in mind, but I've always kind of viewed it as something that I need to do on the side or, you know, make extra time to do. I have never thought about it as like, no, it's actually part of my business model. So that's, yeah. a, that's a really good perspective. Um Okay, that's awesome. So a little bit more fun question. Um, what is what are some of the craziest you know stories that you've had during your thirty years of, you know, real estate? I started this podcast not only to educate people but also to just talk about the crazy stories I have <laughs> and everything. Yeah. Um, so what are some of you know your top just like crazy or funny or just insane stories that you've been through? Well, okay, I'll try to stay as as um, G rated as I can on this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Okay, so we, uh, let me try to think of the year, around 95 to 2000, coincidentally, the same time I had my brokerage, um, my partner and I, and he happens to be a good friend, uh, had a niche going in the college sector. So Mm -hmm. we would buy properties in and around Holy Cross College, specifically that college. And at the time, we had about 11 of them. They were all two to four units, mostly three units. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the times he got a call uh, in the middle of the night, and so which means I did after that, and yeah. there was a, a sewage smell in the basement. Oh. And by the time we got there, it was a good two feet deep. Oh. Um, so it gets better. So we didn't want the place to get shut down. So it was two in the morning, three in the morning, whatever it was. We put plastic bags on. We went in there, and we removed all of it. Oh my gosh. Then 
about a week later, we found out it came back because there was roots in the sewer line. Uh, and so on we went again, and then the problem was fixed. So I fast-forwarded that, but it will give you a little visual of what that was like. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that sounds miserable. <laughs> fun, fun. That's awesome. So, you know, I know um, – so you have your investing and everything, and then you also coach, right? Yep, yep. So – uh, the three of us are, are quite active in the trenches still with our team. And so all we do is transfer that same skill set, those same daily activities to the students around the country. But we're a little different. Um, we've got a pretty aggressive mission as a uh, company, Smart Real Estate Coach, and that is to do 1,500 transactions by 2022. We started this mission in, in um, at the end of 17. And so what does that mean? Well, how does that translate to the listeners? We don't, it's not about, can we sell something or can we go have a mastermind? Cause we can do all that. But if it doesn't translate to how can we help the community, which we call the wicked smart community, mm -hmm. how can we help the community do more transactions? That's all we focus on. So an example is once I did come up with an idea for a mastermind and my son-in-law said, oh, that's really cool. And he came in the next morning and said, hey, Chris, that's, that's not right. Why? Well, because we can have a mastermind. It'd be cool and be fun. We can make money, but we're not helping them do transactions. We're just doing a one-time thing. So we're very focused on, can we get transactions done? And I'll tell you why, Reagan. They, um, and I'm sure you'd agree with this in every niche. There are just so many people selling things. Oh, yes. And so <laughs> we'll get calls from people saying, well, I, I bought that program and that program and that program, and I haven't done a deal. And I say, okay, well, why would you do that? We are focused on one thing, bridging the gap from the time someone sees a course or a seminar and the time they actually can do a lucrative deal like I'm talking about. That, that bridge is so important, and we focus on trying to shorten that time frame. And I'll tell you, yesterday, a new record was broken but with a gentleman in South Carolina. He did, it, he did his first deal with us in 27 days. That is a new record. Prior to that, it was like 46. So we are shortening that time, and that's all we focus on. That's awesome. Wow. That's great. So do you work with um, people who have just gotten their license and are just trying to like find a direction on where to go? Um, a large uh, majority of our listeners are, here's where they come from. They come from realtors wanting to add this as a uh, profit center. I wish I knew about it when I was one because mm -hmm. money left on the table. Yeah. They come from investors that are in other niches. I, for example, flippers, uh, wholesale, especially now with COVID, they're all flocking to the insurance business. They realize that mm -hmm. it does weather the storm. And the third uh, category we're getting for as far as avatar is we are getting a lot of people pre-COVID more so now who are in corporate and just tired of it. And they have no yeah. experience whatsoever. Um, and that, because even within our community, we've got people that were kind of somewhat involved. And then when COVID happened, they said, you know what? I'm not flying anymore. Or you know what? I want to be home with my kids. That was fun. Mm -hmm. So we're getting a lot of, those are the three categories where we attract people from. The, the realtors would be the least amount. And in my opinion, having hindsight, having been one, uh, all realtors should understand how to buy and sell in terms, or they're literally throwing away three paydays every single house. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so I do. I have noticed there's been an influx of people who are just like, you know, I'm fed up with this. I want to get my real estate license. It looks cool. It looks fun from the outside. Of course, you and I know it's a lot more than just showing pretty houses and driving around and <laughs> cashing jacks. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, harder than it actually looks but do you ever feel like especially since you're kind of on the east coast there um the market's super saturated like there's too many realtors i get that kind of question a lot especially in tulsa there's like four to five thousand in just the tulsa area alone and that's that's quite a bit do you ever feel like there's too many 
Um, okay, so when I was a realtor, I I, I agree with you. There, the but here's the here's how you here's how you get away from that. And not worry about it. The if I don't know what the exact stat is in your area, but mm-hmm. I know nationally when I was licensed and super active and we were doing 100 homes a year, what I know for a fact the national average was like 2.7 homes per year sold per agent just because there's a lot of mixed in part-time agents in there. Mm-hmm. So even if the stat was eight homes a year, 10 or 12, it's 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 very easy for you to rise above that. And how do you do that if you're an agent? Because this goes for investors too, right? Mm-hmm. It's go back to that formula I said. Find someone that has done what you want to do and you will break apart from the crowd so quickly by, by finding that person or program and sticking with it uh, and or becoming the authority at the same time. There's ways to do that. We teach that. There's ways to become the authority. Mm-hmm. Then you won't even care about the stats. Like I, I remember thinking of that. There's so many realtors in my, in my marketplace, but the majority of them are not doing a boatload of homes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Um that's interesting. Okay. And so I also have, um, since I started real estate really young, I have a lot of people who um, they're in the middle of college or maybe they just graduated high school and they're thinking about getting their license instead of going to college because that's what I did. I got my license in high school. Um, so, but I, I see what I see is um, they'll get their license or they'll talk about it for a really long time. Um, and they maybe even they get the course, but then they don't do anything with it. Um, how do you how do you get your newer clients to stay motivated and to see the light at the end of the tunnel? Um, okay, so you, I think your question let me make feed it back to you, make sure is sort of like the agents getting off their butt or having a strong purpose, same as uh, me teaching an investor, right? That's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, Same kind of thing. like your your new people who um, mm-hmm. they they talk a big talk and they're like, yeah, this is what I want to do, and they pick your brain for hours, but then whenever it comes down to them taking action, they don't really do it. Okay, so uh, I, the big word that comes to mind is why. Um, so we only deal with the serious and committed. We really do. It's part of what we we scream from the rooftops. So that that's what we will attract. However. Once people are in a system, do they sometimes wallow or not start or not start as quickly? Sure. So then it goes back to their why. Um, so I'll have a little exercise with them. And so let's just say that was you. Um, I'd ask you why you're doing this. And the first answer might be, well, you know, I want to make this much money. Okay, that's great. But why? And I will dig as deep as I can, hopefully seven levels deep. And after we've done that, and it gets painful after five or six. Try it with someone. <laughs> it gets painful. And, and I encourage you to do that exercise, the listeners. After that, then you then you have them answer, and this is again anyone if you're trying to dig deep into getting them motivated. Uh, then you answer this question after you dug seven levels deep of why questions. You say, okay, well then how are you going to fail when this gets to this point? Now you get into the motions, and then after they get to that point, you ask one more question, which is who else will it affect and why? And then family comes into the picture and relationship. So now you have emotional tie to why the heck they want to do what they're doing that maybe they didn't even know when they started the exercise. Now you don't have to motivate them. Now they understand why they should do what they need to do. Gotcha. That's that's really powerful. I agree. Um, all right, Chris. Well, we're about to wrap up here, but I wanted to give you a chance. Where can people find you and connect with you? Um, well, if they don't mind listening to me babble for a little while longer, we do have a free, a lot of free resources. We have a free webinar. Um, just go to smartrealestatecoach.com. Uh, forward slash webinar, or you can just live on the site. It's there. Um, we also have our own podcast, smartrealestatecoachpodcast.com, uh, where we're talking to investors about doing what we do. 
Um, and I, you can just go to YouTube. I mean, there's so many free resources these days. Go to YouTube and punch in Smart Real Estate Coach. You will see over 100 deals. We expose them um, on a whiteboard format, how we create three paydays all around the country. And so you, you might see your area if you're a listener. You probably see a deal being done right in your area. So go ahead and check those out. And I'd love to chat with you. Um, if you want, uh, Reagan, I can give a very short link. And any of your listeners, and probably put myself out there, but any of your listeners could schedule a strategy call with me for 15 minutes for free. Yeah. And myself or my son-in-law, Zach, will, will help you out. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So just go to smartrealestatecoach.com forward slash action. And just make sure you let me know uh, where you heard that so I can honor the call. And it, it don't worry about what you might want to discuss. The, the, the action link will ask you, have you done deals? Have you not done deals? And ask you what you kind of want to accomplish. And I'll give you one, two, three takeaways. I promise you. So when you leave that strategy call, you say, okay, cool. I have something I can act on, even if it's one step in the right direction. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for the information and for taking the time to uh, be interviewed on my podcast today. No problem. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Have a great day. And you guys, um, I'll see you next week on the new episode. And if you guys enjoyed this one, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. Thanks.